Welcome back to AD 79, Year of Vesuvius, Episode 6, February. It's February, the shortest month. We've said before that the Romans thought even-numbered months were unlucky, so it made sense that the shortest month of the year should have an even number to limit the bad stuff. So it's up for February. If we read the Menologia Rusticarum, for those joining us late, please refer to Episode 4. 28 days, noons on the 5th. Day, 10 and 3 quarter hours. Night, 3 and 1 quarter hour. Sun in Aquarius, domain of Neptune. Fields are weeded, upper part of the vine is tended, reeds are burned. In general, Romans, like the rest of us, are getting impatient for the end of winter. The days are getting longer, the temperature perhaps rising just a bit. There are a few good holidays to look forward to. We may get to them. Thoughts turn to getting plants into and eventually out of the ground. The Romans thought of this as the beginning of spring, or at least Varro and Pliny the Elder did, February 7 or 8 to be specific. If it isn't really spring, you can almost see it from here. So there's time to prepare for what is to come. Purification is the theme of the month, setting the stage for jump-starting the growing season. The jobs, you will note, are more or less repeats for January, cutting back the vegetable detritus, setting a bonfire or two, but also the first mention of a vine and its upper parts. Weeds first, though. Herba inutilis, useless grass. But to me, it seems the mark of a very poor farmer to allow grass to grow among his crops, for it detracts greatly from the yield if weeding is neglected. That's from Columella de Re Rustica, 2.11.6. He's right, of course, as any home gardener will tell you. Nothing for it but to grab the shovel and mattock and tear out and burn what you can. That's pretty thorough and good for the soil. But it's laborious and time-consuming. And, of course, homemade bonfires are frowned on in this day and age. At least where I live. The Romans also had a chemical answer to unwanted vegetable junk. Amurca. A-M-U-R-C-A. A thin liquid, the leftover of watery dregs from olives after the oil was pressed. The stuff was said to prevent plant disease and to alienate pests, specifically ants and moles. Vero says that where a murka spilled from olive press to the fields, nothing grew. Just the thing to stop all that useless grass from growing. Some modern scholars have suggested that the liquid was mixed with salt, which is what really did the trick. Maybe. Salting the fertile earth of ancient enemies appears to have been a thing with the more annoyed ancients but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. If you were a would-be farmer in 8079, one of those tired of the urban rat race types, or you've run into a sudden inheritance, where would you want to set up shop? According to the Greek geographer Strabo, 63 BC to 24 AD, the choice was clear. You want to go south of Rome to Campania. The whole of Campania, it is the most blessed of all plains, and round about it lie fruitful hills. A proof of the fruitfulness of the country is that it produces the finest grain. It is reported that, 
In the course of one year, some of the planes are seated twice with spelt, the third time with millet, and others still the fourth time with vegetables. Or, as the more lapidary Latins had it, Felix Campania, happy Campania. That kind of yield would be enough to keep any farmer busy and profitable. And if our new son of the soil wanted the serious money crop, what will he grow? That would be grapes. Strabo goes on. And indeed, it is from here that the Romans obtained their best wine, namely the Falernian, the Statanian, and the Calanian. Though already the Sorrentine wine is taking its place as a rival of the three, for recent tests show that it admits of aging. Chances are you've heard this sort of talk in any number of upscale wine shops. Fun to listen to, even if your own range of experience is not much more than white and red. The likes of Columella and Vero go into remarkable detail on how to plan and run a vineyard, how much you can expect to pay for land, what varietals to produce, how much you can expect to harvest, how much you can expect to earn, how long it'll take before the money starts to roll in. Spring or autumn is the time to plant new vines, in spring from the Ides of February up to the equinox, and of the autumn planting from the Ides of October to the calends of December. So now is a good time to set some posts. As, by the way, one reason that so much land went to vineyards was because of the superior return on investment, coupled with the fact that, as agriculture, it was something that the senatorial class, men already rich, could invest in without losing their senatorial status. But, back to the land. Viniculture long predates first-century Rome, and as plants go, grapevines are a forgiving sort of thing. They'll send down roots as deep as 30 feet if they have to. They will adapt to all sorts of soil. That doesn't mean that they'll necessarily produce good grapes. For a quality end product, the plant must be made to feel comfortable. And, like people, they find Campania to be very comfortable indeed. And for some of the same reasons. The mild climate, the sunshine, soft breezes, the lack of serious cold, all those good things. The Greeks called the region Oinotria, land of vines. No doubt they regretted being kicked out by the Latins. So, do you want a going concern or to start from scratch? If you want to be part of all of this to get into the winemaking business, well, even in Campania, you need to narrow your focus. Is this a hobby farm, subsistence, grand estates? All sorts were present at the time. Americans at least tend to gravitate to grape varietals and worry about who was doing the growing and the rest of it later. Romans quite the opposite. The Romans knew from terroir, even down to the vineyards, and focused on that rather than grape varietals. Like the French today, and Italians for that matter, they wanted to know where the stuff came from. Which gets us back to the soil. As I say, grapes are not overly picky about where they will grow, but climate and such being equal, they do have preferences. Volcanic soil is particularly suited to the stuff, rich in nutrients, and it drains well. Columella writes that the grape is harmed more by rain than by clear weather, and is more kindly disposed to a dry soil than to one that is subject to too much rain. 
It delights in moderate and gentle breezes, but is liable to injury from squalls. So, you have your plot. You have plants to plant. Now is the time to determine how the grapes will hang. You had choices, depending on the land. Various practices as well. The earliest was simply to let vines climb up trees. Virgil speaks of joining vines to the elms. Umisque adjungere vites. Easier than laying out the kind of vineyards we currently associate with grape growing. But the vines were competing with the trees for nutrients. The problem with old land is, the experts said, is that the soil is exhausted. And there are problems with deep roots. You didn't want competition for those nutrients. Remember what we said about weeding. One way to mitigate the competition is to lop off as much of the excess branches as you dare and encourage the vines accordingly. A delicate balance is called for. Depending on the quality of the tree, you might just cut them down entirely and employ sturdy wooden poles spaced at regular intervals around which the vines could rise. The sort of thing that we see today. There's the question of vineyard size as well. There are, there are plots in Pompeii proper once thought to have been cattle markets until archaeologists dug down and found regularly spaced holes, 1.2 meters apart, perfectly suited for stakes for hanging vines, and smaller holes next to them that would have fit a healthy vine. That 1.2 meter distance is also mentioned in ancient texts as the ideal distance between plantings. There are a few other backyard gardens in Pompeii proper, presumably the garden hobby of an enthusiast, Decent money in those houses if you were able to devote however many meters of respectable city real estate to a private garden. Perhaps the plots had been around a long time, and the quality of the product exceptional enough that they were cherry about paving the whole thing over and putting in just another housing development or rental unit. Then again, maybe they thought about doing that, ran the numbers, and decided they could earn more by devoting the soils to a high-end market garden home use and a little cash on the side. Public relations are everything. They can mark up the product, knowing that the punters will want to show their support for the winemaker. Or the product could be a relatively economic way of showing friendship to others, who doesn't like to get a flagon of special wine from time to time. There's a great deal more to be said about Roman wine, the making, the marketing, the selling, and so forth. We have names and some details about some of the players of AD 79, and we'll be revisiting the topic as the buds begin to appear and the shoots shoot and we get into nicer weather. Next time, a portrait of just the sort of person who would have gotten into this business had he not been involved already in other lucrative businesses. By the way, if you have comments, corrections, or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach me at vesuviuspodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, enough for one day. Thank you for listening. <laughs>